0: You are listening to the IDH Sustainable Trade Podcast. I'm Violaine Berger, Senior Advisor on Cocoa and Forests at IDH, the Sustainable Trade Initiative. Today's podcast will discuss the complexity of traceability within the cocoa supply chain by delving into the critical question, where is our cocoa source from? We will look at companies' efforts to map farms in their supply chains, at how producing country governments are strengthening their national cocoa traceability systems, we will also look at different traceability levels and at the challenges that come with these efforts to monitor cocoa from bin to bar. For this conversation, IDH brought together key cocoa experts such as Andrew Brooks, Head of Cocoa Sustainability at OLAM, Christine Komives, Director of Programs at ICIL, Dr. Emmanuel Opoku, Deputy Chief Executive Officer at COCOBOD, Michael Doping, the Managing Director at ONCC. Ade Adeola, the President of the Cocoa Farmers Association of Nigeria, and finally Cédric Van Kessem, Associate Director of the Cocoa Life Programme at Mondelez. So the discussions you will hear were all part of a learning event on cocoa traceability organized earlier this year by Beyond Chocolate, which is a partnership for a more sustainable Belgian chocolate sector. One of the targets that partners of Beyond Chocolate have committed to is ending deforestation linked to cocoa production for the Belgian market by 2030. How to achieve this target was discussed extensively in the deforestation working groups that I was sharing as part of Beyond Chocolate.
1: And hi everyone. So my name is Cedric van Ketsen. I represent Mandarese International. And today I'm going to try to explain you how we decided to work and cover traceability under our signature program for sustainable chocolate, which is Cocoa Life. To get started, we we wanted to take a bit a bit of a step back, and, and when thinking traceability, we believe it's important. We try to answer the question: What it is we are trying to solve? Uh, at Mandarese, we see traceability as a way to assure. We are meeting our vision um, that we have with Cocoa Life, which is to make sure cocoa is made right. What does it mean to have cocoa made right? First, it's about creating lasting and systemic transformation for cocoa growing households' livelihoods. And to do that over now close to uh, seven or eight years, we've been really working across three main areas under Cocoa Life. First, is making cocoa farming a sustainable business, meaning farmers make more money from cocoa. Second, it's about creating empowered communities. We want to have more thriving communities uh, with proper education for the next generation of cocoa farmers. And then last, of course, we want to continue conserving and restoring forests because these are, are critical, of course, to ensure a sustainable cocoa production over the long term. But it also means, cocoa made right for us also means we need Asmandiris to be in a position to say that in our supply chain, there is no child labor and that there is no deforestation from cocoa. That is critical for us. And to get there, we believe we need to have strong evidences that show us and that show uh, the world and our, our consumers that we know first where cocoa farms are actually located And two, under what condition cocoa is being produced on these farms with a specific attention to child labor. So once it comes to traceability, we've been thinking and working around this, of course, same as all other industry companies and and governments also. And we see really two extremes or or two models uh, for now on the table. And we believe there are still lots of models also in between. Uh, so on the one hand, you have identity preserved or, or to some extreme, even, um, you know, bean or, or farm to bar, as we were referring to before. And on the other extreme, you would have the global mass balance principle. We do believe there are actually strong limitations with both approaches. If you think of identity preserve, we believe it might become an excuse for neglecting systemic industry faders. Uh What we mean when saying this is, If we were to go there, as we can say, okay, look for the equivalent cocoa we're buying, which is so much. We know it's traceable, and therefore that's the responsibility we're taking. And we no more want to be accountable nor responsible for the the rest of the issues in the cocoa supply chain and in the cocoa sector. Which leads me to, to the second point and the second limitation we see with IP or Identity Preserve which is, again, to allow individual businesses to deny responsibility for wider sectorial problem, which is really what is needed, is to have a sectorial approach and no more to look at individual supply chain only. And third, which we cannot ignore, and you see in that little graph the number of steps that will be required, each step comes at a cost. So if the entire world was to go for identity-preserved cocoa and today the global production is, let's say, somewhere around slightly above 5 million tons of cocoa beans, if all of that had to be identity preserved, would be talking a massive amount to be invested. And we don't believe that money will directly benefit the farmers and their livelihoods, which again, is what we believe should be the priority. Now, if you look at the other extreme, which is the global mass balance, we know for lots of reasons, it's, it's hard to explain this to the consumers. It's hard to explain this also to other stakeholders. So it, it, maybe it's not appropriate because... People don't get it. It is too late, we think, to meet the coming due diligence. And there are lots of uh, noise about regulations coming. I'm sure everybody heard of, you know, the the, the due diligence and these regulations coming in Europe, Uh, lots of discussions in the US also. So this model will certainly not allow us to comply uh, with such regulations that are coming in consuming countries. And then finally, there's too much room for for us to focus on the low-hanging fruits only meaning you, you will go and have a program uh, where it's easy to have an impact and you will not focus your interventions in countries where more interventions are needed because we know having impact in some of these countries is ext- extremely challenging because the, the environment is quite complex.
0: Mr. Michael Ndoping, Managing Director at ONCC, which is a cocoa and coffee-regulating institution in Cameroon, demonstrated some of this complexity by explaining the Q and cocoa situation in Cameroon.
2: Cameroon, as you know, is the third-largest cocoa producer in Africa and uh, fourth in the world. And we produce about thousand tons of cocoa per year, 33% of which is certified and traceable, and the rest is exported as bought. Now, the reason here is because for a long time, buyers told us that they were not interested in certified cocoa in Cameroon. It's only recently that we had some big buyers you get involved in certification programs, so that's the reason why uh, the level of certified and traceable coffee in Cameroon appears to be low. In terms of forest cover, approximately 46.3% of our territory is under forest, and the annual forest defo- deforestation rate is less than 1%. The system in Cameroon is fully liberalized, as opposed to other countries, and. Uh, Tax revenue on exports is reduced to 14 cents per kilogram to encourage uh, cocoa trade. Buyers are bl- obliged to report on quantities bought and sold on a weekly basis. Uh, exporters as well are supposed to have waybills bills that accompany the produce from the farm gate to the ports. There is sufficient public and private sector sort. Most uh, big buyers uh, like Cargill, Barrel, Olam have certification programs on the ground. The value chain comprises as everywhere else, purchasers, buyers, exporters, and primary processors. But at this level, the processing is just the first level of processing. It doesn't go to the end product. As opposed to our future plans, we are developing two plans right at the moment. We're signing a roadmap on deforestation with the support of IDH. The, the Minister of Agriculture is also in the process of elaborating a new cocoa agenda in which deforestation and child labor will be a major, a major consideration. Uh, and in the program, we envis- envisage to have national-wide plot registration, what we refer to as geo-reference, geo-reference of plots and farmers. And of course, it goes with improved planting material, improved farm practices, and improved quality. Digital, digitalization is also on track, and we hope that in the near future we'll be able to trace all cocoa from the farms to the export uh, to the export gate. And in this program, deforestation and, like I said, and child labor will, be, will be major uh, concerns. Yes, the challenges, of course, the first challenge is farmer's income. We think that once the farmer's income is guaranteed at a decent level, the farmer will be ready to adopt all the new pr- processes and able to face the new challenges because they are into this business to make money. If the farmers don't make money, there is very little you can do. So we hope that farmers income will, be, will play a major role in whatever projects we have in the future. And cocoa is a seasonal, crop, a seasonal crop. And we feel that the farmer can have enough time to do, to get involved in diversification to improve their incomes. Traceability will be from the from, uh, farm gate ports, but we have a question at this level because the consumer is asking for traceability to the bar. Now, if we, if we stop at the ports, then we have risk of mass balance, where origin is mixed with other origins and it disappears after the ports. So to us, that is a major concern that must be addressed. At the moment, uh, like I said, a few companies are involved in the traceability programs, but there's very little collaboration at that level. And like I said, there are few buyers for certified cocoa from Cameroon. So if we do certification and traceability and we don't sell it, then I have a problem with MAMAs. For opportunities, we, we, we hope that with the traceability program in place, the discount on Cameroon origin should disappear because I didn't say in the beginning, one of the origins that is penalized by the stock exchange, the commodity exchange, there's a discount, a systematic discount on cocoa from Cameroon. We don't understand why, and we hope that with the traceability system, this discount must disappear. Of course, it will reduce uh, cost and redundancy on individual stems. And we, we think the, 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 the issue should be decommoditizing cocoa because traceability, if it's not coming to the bar, with mechanisms the has balance, we wouldn't benefit much from any traceability program. And this will reduce transparency, because the farmers want to know exactly why they are getting involved in the system, what they're getting out of the system. And if there are premiums, how are these premiums paid? So that's the kind of things we're looking at, and we hope that with programs like your own, we can be able to find solutions in the near future.
0: Indeed, Mr. Ndoping made a strong point here on how the farmers are impacted by these traceability systems. Then we invited Mr. Adegoke Adeola, the president of the Cocoa Farmers Association of Nigeria, to provide his perspective on this topic.
3: This issue of not mass balance to me is shouldn't be allowed. It shouldn't be allowed because as a cocoa farmer, if I should do my practices accordingly in terms of producing the finest cocoa, in the very finest cocoa farm environments and at the end of the day with my colleagues cocoa farmers we pull our cocoa beans together and we sell it to a buyer and what you see that buyer doing is to carry our finest premium cocoa and use it mix it with a farmer that does not go through all the good processes that supposed to be uh, to make sure that such farmer produces a fine premium cocoa and in the name of mass balancing i believe it does not reward a, a reward or give credit to production of of trace, a, a traceable cocoa so mass balancing should be cancelled.
0: Here we saw the conflict in opinion about tracing systems and how they impact farmers. In reaction to this strong statement, Dr Emmanuel Opoku, the Deputy Chief Executive Officer at Cocoa Board, shed some light on how current tracing systems work and how they can be improved.
4: We have invested uh, I think about 10 million dollars, 10.6 million dollars to develop the cocoa management operating system this system I think that is what my focus, I focus my presentation on because as part as part of the as one of the issues I uh, the points I, I noted on my slides the first part I gave a general overview of how our systems can be tra- uh, our cocoa can be traced to the society and the greaterr and then the buyer and then beyond that uh, we don't accept the companies that are doing other other traceability or certified cocoa and i introduced the fact that we are bringing on board a cocoa management system that will locate uh, every farm every farm household and the exact uh, gps location of the farm if the farmer has 10 farms all that will be attached to his data so it is easy for one to go in there now uh we are this is a this is an it solution that we are developing and uh uh, the total is about 10.6 million dollars, because we need that information uh, of all our farmers to be able to track who is doing what and who has encroached. These are for policy decision making. Uh, we need the information to know the type of uh, inputs that I mean each area will need. Uh, for example, what type of fertilizer this must, must go to this location. So. These are very important systems. Now, uh, we, at the data collection stage, we are using the GPS uh, uh, to pick the data. And so when we, we have also agreed, work with, we are working with the uh, telcos here uh, to provide us, we know we know the challenge of IT in certain communities. So what, for the payment side, what we are going to use is DSS system and we, we are also in, in discussion with the Bank of Ghana and with other banks that will be part of the, the payment process. And then there too, we are making sure that we have a system that will not be, because there's going to be a transaction flow on in, in, in the chain. And we have to make sure that we have a, a, a an IS a solution that will prevent people from hacking into the system. So uh, definitely we have certain IT challenges in the community, but then we have, we have, we have a system that will go around it that, so that our operating system can still work because then we will we will do payments and things like that from the office. But going into the data would help us to identify who and who are in which location, and that is the, the issue which is most crucial to us.
0: Now we will hear from Andrew Brooks, Head of Sustainability at Olam, who provided a snapshot on OLAM's progress on their traceability targets.
5: As we have announced, our key achievement is to report 100% traceability in the direct supply chain. So how have we done that? So we ensure that our direct supply policy and procedure document is fully operational in all our origins. Uh, this enables direct procurement tracking from first per- point of transaction with constant management overview to ensure full compliance. So very pleased to report we've been able to progress from 70% traceability this time last year to over 100 percent now and a year on. This has been achieved by centralised data records so we've developed a single ERP system to ensure full chain of custody. So our farmers and our farmer groups and LBAs offered a digital ERP system which integrates into our own system to provide a unified system. This includes our recently awarded platform Olam Direct, uh, which facilitates purchases at the farm base, monitoring prices and premiums directly back to the farmers. So our community source code provides both the country supplier retaining their, their own commercial relationships, whilst also providing visibility on the precise sourcing location, thereby enabling the effective CMRS, deforestation, uh, living income assessments as well as remediation and verification where required. So what are the challenges and opportunities we faced? So the primary challenge is often uh, data connection, poor data connection. So when we're operating in remote areas up country, internet connectivity is often uh, infrequent or if not poor. So here it's important to be able to record the data on on the smartphone or tablet before uploading it when connectivity is actually available. Secondly, the digital literacy continues to be a challenge. But we're pleased to say with the influence of many young farmers now that bring bringing the willingness to adopt digital technology, we're overcoming this. So looking at the opportunity, so obviously today we announced that 54% of our direct supply chain is either sold or is sold as certified or verified, now sustainable programs. So this means we still have the opportunity to offer large traceable volumes to cover the expected increase in demand over the next few years across our, i said, nine origins in the three countries. So traceability is a, provides the critical first step to reach the farmers and their communities. This enabling a direct impact on key issues such as deforestation, income, quality, and social issues. And this is evidenced through our, our OLAM Farm Information System, which is our uh, key features of, we have, which is the farm mapping, individual farm development plans, as well as decentralized labor monor- uh, child labor monitoring. So other challenges exist, of course. So, namely, the uh, securing the right balance between uh, the supplier loyalty and what we consider as fair value. So here, obviously, traceable premiums have to be sufficiently robust to justify the farmer group or supplier agreeing to contract with a with a single supplier, single partner. The other challenge we're facing, obviously yes, is the well documented the indirect supply chain. So here we're very much dependent still on continuous third party audits to provide the visibility. But uh, as has already been highlighted this afternoon, uh, we're very pleased that the origin governments have uh, taken the commendable decisions to establish their own unique traceability systems. And that will certainly provide a greater visibility and opportunity for for much more sustainable development over time. So for us traceability is really the key element for us to obtain our Cocoa Compass vision, which is for an environmental, positive, and professionalized quality focused supply chain, comprised of farmers who are earning a living income and whose children have access to education. So, all this will be reported on our holistic uh, platform at source. And together, these challenge us really to do more and have impact at scale.
0: Olam explained how companies can improve trustability within their direct supply chains, but how does it work with certification? Christine Komives, director of programs at ICIL, elaborated on how traceability can be incorporated into existing sustainability standards.
6: I'm going to speak to you today a bit generally about um, how sustainability standards are looking at the issue of traceability and, and where things are going. But I'm also going to try to bring up a couple different aspects of this conversation that haven't been raised before by the previous speakers. A lot of it sounds very familiar, uh, but there are a few different things. So maybe to start here, in terms of the terminology that we're using, I think from the from the start of this presentation, we've been talking about traceability in a, in a very general sense. Uh, when we think about sustainability standards, there's this other term, chain of custody, which becomes quite important. So. As I speak about things, when I say traceability, I'm talking uh, about the use of records and tracing materials and chain of custody is the actual sequence of something getting passed from one person or one organization to another along the supply chain. And therefore, chain of custody certification is something that sustainability standards do as well, which is to check uh, those relationships along the supply chain. So to verify how the materials are moving along the supply chain. And chain of custody certification is a way of verifying whether these movements are taking place in the way that we think they are. But sustainability standards also can use chain of custody certification in other ways. For example, adding requirements um, for different supply chain actors. requirements that have more to do with sustainability outcomes. So let's just remember that as another tool in the toolbox of sustainability standards. There are many reasons to use chain of custody or to use trade stability systems as we've heard already today. So many of those have already been mentioned. Also, regulatory obligations like new due diligence legislation becomes quite important as things to think about there hasn't been so much discussion about fraud prevention, but that's certainly uh, one of the concerns here, particularly in making sure that companies who are investing in buying certification are uh, are actually getting certified product. It was also mentioned by one of the speakers, I can't remember from which country, that the importance or the feeling of knowing that the product that you produce is also Uh, legitimately going and being uh, seen as certified being important. And then finally claims which we, we actually haven't talked a lot about but I think it is interesting to talk a little bit about claims because Beyond Chocolate is about trying to make a claim about Belgian chocolate ultimately. The kind of traceability system and a chain of custody system that's used has a relationship to the type of claim that you can credibly make. So if we focus on the ones that we have talked most about today, so mass balance, you produce a product that has a mass balance cocoa in it, then you can say things like we source... A certain percentage of certified content. So say 50% of the cocoa we source is certified. But you can't say much more than that. Whereas something like the identity identity preservation of segregation allows you to say more about exactly where that uh, cocoa is coming from. And particularly if we're interested in knowing exactly where it's coming from, so on a map then identity preservation uh, has some advantages for those kinds of claims. So I think it's, it is very important for each of the individual companies, but also for Beyond Chocolate as an initiative to think about this when establishing the approach to, uh, to traceability. And finally, I just maybe to, to sort of spark debate in the next piece of this discussion, about the mass balance versus and identity preservation. I think it's, it is really important to consider the pros and cons of each. So there, there is a tendency or a trend for some actors to try to move towards more segregation and the appeal of that is obvious. But one of the arguments that has been made in favor of mass balance from a farmer perspective is the ability to sell more, to have more options to sell their products. So we do need to be careful in moving towards more segregation, that we aren't working against the beyond chocolate living income goal by potentially reducing the opportunities for farmers to sell their product as certified. So we just have to watch out for that. As we already heard, many farmers are already not selling all the certified product that they have as certified. So we need to solve uh, that problem as well.
1: Uh, I think from what I heard, there are lots of wrong perceptions on cocoa in the eyes of the consumers. I heard sometimes some consumers saying that cocoa was being grown on large scale plantation that were owned by chocolate companies. I also heard sometimes that organic chocolate meant there was no palm oil. And I wanted to use these two examples because it shows how bad the perception can be and the understanding of consumers can be. Um, and we want to make sure, we need to make sure they don't just take it for granted that having physical traceability, meaning incurring additional transactional cost to photo each bag of cocoa, will solve the issues and make our industry more sustainable. We don't believe that is the answer. Instead, again, we need them to understand that what is needed is a lasting systemic transformation for cocoa grain household livelihoods. And we hope that through this multi-stakeholder platform that is Beyond Chocolate. We can join forces because we have a responsibility to get a clear message across the consumers.
0: This podcast was just an appetizer to the extremely complex topic of cocoa traceability. Knowledge must be expanded and collaboration accelerated to improve the three key challenges that the cocoa sector is facing, which are ensuring a living income to cocoa farmers, ending cocoa-related deforestation, and ending child labour within the cocoa supply chain. IDH convinced key partners uh, from private, public, and civil society to spark dialogue and establish sustainability commitments through collaboration. There is much work still to be done to create effectively literacy solutions for the cocoa supply chain. After hearing from the diverse cocoa experts featured in this podcast, we hope to have enlightened you to the gaps in knowledge and demonstrated the importance of knowledge sharing for a transparent cocoa supply chain in the future. Many thanks for listening. To listen to our other podcasts, follow our channel, IDH Podcast via iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. Or you can sign up to our IDH newsletter via www.idhtrade.org to always receive the latest news and podcasts in your inbox.